You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. With Civil War Talk Radio, I live a dreamlike existence, studying the Civil War by day and spending evenings surrounded by beautiful adolescent girls, in particular my daughters and their teammates on the uh, Greenville Stars U-12 soccer team that I get to coach these days. And now today, combining both interests, our subject is young women in the Confederacy. The book we'll discuss is Confederate Daughters, Coming of Age During the Civil War. The author is Victoria E. Ott, and we'll discuss this subject in just a moment on Civil War Talk Radio. Everyone faces conflict at home, at work, in the community, in the world. Fix Your Conflicts is a show about how to fix those conflicts with practical tips and techniques. Doug Knoll brings to the Internet airwaves the first of its kind, a show that teaches peaceful resolution to life's daily battles. That's Fix Your Conflicts with Doug Knoll, broadcasting live every Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific on World Talk Radio Studio A. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you from the Brewster Building on the campus of Greenville, North Carolina's East Carolina University, scene of a dramatic but fortunately uh, not dangerous bus accident just a few days ago. Uh, everyone's talking about it, so I thought I'd mention it there. Uh, but perhaps the lawyers of the campus don't want me discussing airing our dirty laundry. So a reminder that everything on the show comes from me, comes from the guest, doesn't come from East Carolina University in terms of liability. It's all our own. It's my own show. Well, today we will be talking uh, shortly with uh, an author of a, a new book, so new that uh, the author herself has not seen it yet, uh, but I have, and we'll discuss that. Before we get to it, speaking of new books, uh, it's time to engage in the shameless self-promotion of Did Lincoln Own Slaves? and other frequently asked questions about Abraham Lincoln, published in January 2008 by Pantheon Books, uh, a book which I've had the great fun of being able to talk about with people in different places around the country, meet people who listen to Civil War Talk Radio, uh, meet people that I've only known through online communications and get to see them in person. It's very pleasant. Uh, in the upcoming days, now if you're downloading this weeks ahead of, weeks later, this will mean this will be too late, but if you're listening live, uh, I will be uh, going around to talk about the book some more and hope to see you there in Springfield, Illinois, at the Lincoln Home on Abraham Lincoln's birthday, February 12th. I'll be giving one of the annual George L. Painter lectures on the subject, Did Lincoln Own Slaves? Uh, those are in the morning uh, between 9 o'clock and 11.30 at the Lincoln Home National Park Service site in Springfield. They end early, so you can get over to the afternoon symposia and then the evening banquet. There's a lot happening in February 12th in Springfield every year. 
Then on February 20th at the Regulator Bookshop in Durham, North Carolina at 7 o'clock. I'll be there to chat about Lincoln. I am hoping to attend on March 1st the Longwood Seminar, Civil War Seminars, put on by the National Park Service in Farmville, Virginia. That's at Appomattox Courthouse uh, on your Civil War map. So go to the Appomattox Historical Site, and there will be an excellent day-long free seminar, uh, which I plan to attend, and I will get a few minutes on the stage, and uh, we'll be happy to sign books and chat with you about uh, Civil War topics. And then March 5th, Wednesday, at the Barnes & Noble bookstore right here in Greenville, North Carolina, where, as uh, has been the case in the past, they are reluctant to host local professors because too many of us write obscure tomes that no one wants to read. We show up, and there's two or three guests, and everyone has a bad time. Uh, It doesn't always work that way. My colleague Michael Gross wrote an award-winning book on anti-Catholic sentiment in 19th century Germany, And 70 people came to his book signing, uh, all friends and family, uh, myself included. But uh, people do show up for book signings. Uh, People do care to read as well as watch TV and play video games. And and we hope people will show up on March 5th uh, here in Greenville for Did Lincoln Own Slaves? As always, if you get to come to one of these things, please let me know you've heard Civil War Talk Radio. Uh, Tell me what you like and don't like about it, and we'll see what can be done. But moving on from uh, uh, from that book to today's book, uh, the subject, uh, as I said, is a, a new book by a new Civil War author. Uh, her name is Victoria E. Ott. She teaches at Birmingham Southern College. Victoria, are you there? Yes. Ah, wonderful. Thank you for joining us today on Civil War Talk Radio. Well, thank you for having me. I hear you're not feeling so well. Uh, I have the flu bug. Oh, that's not good. That's no, but I, I figured I couldn't infect too many people over the radio, so I'm. Uh, even though I canceled my class, I couldn't miss this. So. Well, good. You're you are safe. We're all safe. We're yeah. isolated from one another. Now, uh, I hope you don't mind if I call you Victoria. And no, please, not at all. Please do. Please call me Jerry. Um, uh, we've not uh, had the opportunity to meet in person, but. Uh, I have your book here. Actually, in the chaos of uh, the, the Did Lincoln Own Slaves World Tour that has kept me going the last few weeks, uh, I don't even have your book in front of me at this moment. I left it at home. I was reading it last night. Oh, wonderful. Uh, but I can tell our listeners that it is a very handsome volume. Did you get your copies yet? <laughs> no, not it, yet. Oh. But I, uh, the mail runs kind of slow around here, and um, I expect it any day now. In fact, I'm stalking the, uh, the, the post office on campus. So. <laughs> well, this is quite exciting. And the, the book is published, uh, listeners want to know, by Southern Illinois University Press. Yes. Uh, yes. Carbondale, John Y. Simon's stomping ground. Right. And... Uh, uh, SIU Press is really establishing itself as one of the leaders in Civil War publishing, yes. and they, they sent me what I guess is, it, it's not an advanced copy, it's a real fully produced copy, right. uh, but I've got one before you do. That's that's pretty uh, pretty <laughs> daunting as an author. Uh, right. Um, but I have my I have my copy in front of me, and, and I'm just anxious to see what it looks like finely bound and, and everything. Yes, well, it is, it is very handsome. I will and think. it shares a, a trait... Uh, that I mentioned last week, Stephen Barry uh, was on last week, and we talked about uh, the House of Abraham, his very entertaining book on, on the Todds and, and the Lincolns during right. the Civil War. And one of the characteristics of that book is it's not 
uh, it's not particularly long, and uh, it follows a trend. I think Jacqueline Glass Campbell's book on uh, uh, Southern women in the Carolinas, right, in their response to Sherman's march, mm-hmm. not particularly long. Uh, your book is not exceedingly long. My my dissertation that became a book, all for the regiment, not that long. Are, are we maybe finally forming a, a a movement here to just write meaningful books in a short span that say what they have to say and get out instead of going on for 500 pages? Um, maybe so. Um, I know the more recent books that I've reviewed, in fact, I reviewed um, Jacqueline Glass Campbell's book, which I thought was excellent. Um, I think that that's true. We're, we're finding topics that, you know, we can say what we want to say succinctly and, um, uh, you know, we don't have to, I think there's, there's specialized topics enough that we don't have to give a lot of contextual information uh, just briefly. And um, But I, I studied with a Civil War historian whose dissertation was 800 pages. And so he said, let's try to keep your dissertation at a manageable level. And so um, with, his, with his guidance, I tried to keep it uh, a short and sweet, and also my father, who's a retired historian, Latin American historian, said, you know, say what you have to say in, um, in five words rather than ten. Uh, and when I started going through and thinking about that, uh, it actually uh, cut the book down quite a bit. <laughs> so um, I had some guidance in that. So it may be that there's a trend going on. Well, I think it would be a good one. Your book certainly is, is well written and, and does make its point and, and move on. There's a uh... I mean, there was room certainly for the giant book uh, in military history. You know, you, you see those books about the second day at Gettysburg, the left flank of the second day at Gettysburg at 500 pages. Right. And there's a certain uh, zen-like state you can get into reading a book like that. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, you, you become immersed in the topic. You do, and, and I don't mean to object to uh, the good long book, but... I guess if there's going to be a bad book, I'd rather it be a bad short book than a bad long book. <laughs> Not that yours is, certainly. Well, thank um, you. <laughs> so it, it helps to get through them. Well, let's talk about your subject, which is <coughs> fairly specialized. The, uh, the title, again, is, is Confederate Daughters, a subtitle, Coming of Age During the Civil War. Right. Now, I, as I said in the introduction, I, I immediately thought... Uh, what a wonderful topic. Uh, my daughters right now are, are 16 and 12. Oh, wow. So they're right in the middle of your sample. Right. Uh, and they are showing various behaviors that they didn't show before. <laughs> and they're different one from the other and so on. Right. Uh, but I thought uh, interesting to combine uh, the subject that consumes my non-working life, uh, coaching their, one of them. I've coached each of them at different times. Right now I have the younger one on a U-12 team. Uh, in soccer, so oh. so I'm, I'm with them a lot, and uh, combine that with a Civil War interest. But let me start with a harder question. Sure. Uh, uh, why does it matter what girls at that age were thinking or doing during the Civil War? Right. Uh, I, I mean, in terms of political power, economic power, they're pretty much at zero. Why should we care? Right. Well, I think for... Um Maybe a few reasons, uh, one of which is I think that we tend to think of children and adolescents uh, as just sort of following their parents when it comes to opinions about world events, um, that they are really 
uh, influenced by what their parents have to say at the dinner table and, and in the car driving to soccer games and things. Um, and so I, in doing my research, I found that that was true, that these young women were certainly influenced by especially what their fathers and, and older brothers had to say. But as they became uh, witnesses to what was going on, the secession movement, the fear of slave insurrection, um, the sense of crisis going on around them, that they began to form their own views as to why they would want to support the Confederacy. Now, all my young women, I followed 85 young women. Um, I tried to track them as much as I possibly could, even past the war. And uh, they were certainly uh, from secessionist families, uh, slaveholding families. So it's a narrow group as well. But I was really interested. Are these young women just sort of following along with what everybody's doing, you know, influence swept up in the moment, <laughs> so to speak? And um, I found that these young women actually, as they began to process what was going on around them, that they created their own sense of why they wanted to support the war, and that was through the, the youth culture that existed in that period. Uh, the culture at young women's schools, uh, the social circuit for these single young women, um, those became avenues for expressing why they wanted to support the war. And they also rearranged their, their personal lives in a way where we can see why they they would want to support the Confederacy. Well, let me ask you about that sample. And you mentioned there's about 85 mm -hmm. young women who, whose uh, uh, papers you looked at. Well, what kind of sources did you use? What did you find? Oh, I had some fascinating women? sources. I felt like a voyeur uh, in these young women's lives. And first, let me say, I'll digress for a moment, that sure. <laughs> young women, uh, adolescent girls especially, uh, if you look at them today, haven't changed that much when it comes to um, uh, friendships and boys and things like that. So it was really interesting to, to see that. But the sources that I mainly used were letters, um, correspondences, not just from these young girls, but also from family, their um, their uh, beaux, uh, their their fiancés, even. Um, also, I used uh, newspapers just to get a sense of what the community was telling these girls uh, and and what they were thinking about what these girls were doing. And then also uh, for the last chapter, which is about how these young women, this, this, these girls, it's not a generation. Generation is much broader in terms of, of, of ages, but a stage of development, a group that's in a certain stage of development known as adolescence today. Um, how once they got older, they looked back on their experience and, and how did they, um, did they create a voice for themselves in the movement to venerate the South, the, the Lost Cause movement, as, as many historians refer to it as. Um, so I used a lot of personal memoirs uh, for that, uh, both ones that were passed on just to family members that weren't published and then others that were eventually published. So, so you felt you had a reasonable insight into what these, these girls were thinking. Right, and I also tracked uh, uh, almost all of them through the census records, too. Okay. See what became of them. Yes, <laughs> which was very daunting. <laughs> now, you mentioned most of them were secessionist uh, in their politics and slaveholding in terms of, of economics. Right. Uh, 
but but of course, people listening to the show who tend to be pretty well versed in things would point out that uh, depending how you slice it, maybe a quarter, maybe as much as a third of, uh, of, of southern families, southern white families, owned slaves, right, uh, or belonged to slave-owning families. That the majority, no matter how you look at it, the majority clearly did not. That's absolutely right. Yeah. So. It, this, this is not a representative sample of the South. Uh, that, no. that wasn't your intent, was it? And not of all young women. Uh, it is. It is so hard to find sources from uh, non-slaveholding families uh, from a different class group. Too, they're not um, from the middling group or uh, uh, the the yeoman families. Um, it's it's been very difficult. I tried to uncover. Uh, the sources, and I did find a handful, and I've put those off to the side because I'm thinking uh, down the road, as I can go into the archives, um, that that's, you know, maybe I can find their story. I want to do, I want to tell their story. Um, but the sources, there's just a, a, a dearth of evidence out there, and it's, it's frustrating. It's very frustrating. It is. It, it reminds me of the, the story of the uh uh, the drunk stumbling on the si- sidewalk and he's looking for something and his friend says, what are you looking for? Oh, I dropped all my change. Where'd you drop it? Down there. <laughs> Why are you looking here? Well, the light's better here. Um, sometimes we look where the sources are, not where what we hope to find is, but uh, that's, that's one of the hazards of history. We're going to take a short break okay. and we'll come back in just a moment talk more with Professor Victoria Ott about Confederate daughters coming of age in the Civil War. We'll do that when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you. 